Good morning. <clears throat> Is there a limit uh, to love? Uh, how far should we go in our obligations to the people around us? And to whom should those obligations extend? In our scripture, Jesus tells a story that, that speaks to these, these questions about what it means to, to be a neighbor, a good neighbor. And it's a great story. And like all great stories, it's full of uh, emotion and compelling characters. And, and, and there's a twist. And, and so we see uh, in this, these few short verses, we see violence, we see crime, we see racial discrimination, we see hatred, we see neglect, we see shocking apathy. And then there's a twist and we see a startling display of, of love and then mercy from an unforeseen character. And this story, the story of the Good Samaritan, has made our way into our culture. Uh, most people know what it means to be a Good Samaritan. They may not know it comes from the Bible, or if they do, they, know, they don't know where it comes from the Bible, but they know what it means to be a Good Samaritan, somebody who steps in, somebody who helps another. And the problem sometimes with, with, with a story that's so familiar is that we can, it can cause us to think we've got it figured out. That we, you know, we've, we've, we've got that one. Let's move past. This is like kindergarten. Let's just move past that. We've got the basics down. But sometimes the truth that's hardest to apply is the truth that we know the best. And sometimes the most difficult thing to do is the thing that is right there under our noses. Now, a little bit of context to this story. It's always good when you look at the Gospels to see what comes before and what comes after. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they... They were intentional about how they arranged the stories and the parables and Jesus' teaching and things like that. And so right before this story, the Good Samaritan, in Luke 10, Jesus sends out 72 disciples to do missions work. He sends them out and says, the, the, the harvest is plentiful. There are many people out there who, who need to know about my love for them uh, and, and my good news. But he says the workers are a few. And then right after that, Luke includes the story of the Good Samaritan. Why are these two one after the other? Because service and care and compassion and mercy, love expressed through good works, must always go hand in hand with the announcement of the good news of Jesus. We can't just announce the good news. We must live it out. So how are we to be good neighbors? Is it simply we hold neighborhood barbecues or pick up the mail when they're gone or maybe mow their lawn when they're, when they're sick? Don't throw wild parties. Be appropriately friendly, but not too nosy. How are we to be good neighbors? Before we look at this passage, this familiar story, let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would bring it to bear in our lives, that you would... Um, just move beyond the familiarity we have with this and, 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 and cause us, Lord, to, to see it anew and, and to cause us to respond, not just to hear and receive your word, but to, to put it into practice. We ask this in your name. Amen. How many of you had a curfew growing up? I'm guessing a lot of us did. And uh, I don't remember exactly when my curfew was. I think it was maybe once I started driving, it was midnight. On the weekends, uh, during the week, weekdays, I don't really remember what it was. Um, but, but what I do remember is that sometimes my dad and I would have um, uh, discussions about, about the curfew. And um, it wasn't that I knew, didn't know when it was, it was the details of it. What specifically did he mean by being home by midnight? Did it mean that I had to 
Be in the house by midnight or be on the property by midnight? Could I sit in the car with a buddy who drove me home and talk for a while or do I have to be inside the house? And, and, and have you ever tried that? Did you try that when you were a kid or did you have a parent as a parent? Did you ever have that kind of conversation where you argue over details and you try to rationalize it or, 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 or justify your lack of adherence to, to, the, to the rules? Well, in our text for the day, we see Jesus in a, in a conversation sort of like this. Um, it involves an expert in the law, a man who would have known the, the God's requirements and commandments really, really well, a lawyer, and Jesus. So let's pick it up in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, right away, we know this guy's motives are not good. They're all wrong. He's not looking for the truth. He's just trying to trap Jesus and make him look bad. Anyway, he, he stands up to test Jesus and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is a great question. It's a very important question. But he's asking it with the wrong motives. And as Jesus so often did, and he still does, Jesus answers a question with a question. He puts the onus on the lawyer to give an answer that he already knew. Jesus says, what is written in the law? Uh, how, how do you read it? You're a lawyer. You know it well. What does it say? And, and the lawyer answers correctly. And he quotes from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He aced it. He knew the answer to the question before he asked it. And Jesus says, do this and you'll live. Now, the, the lawyer feels a little bit silly, probably like you and I feel like when we ask a question to which we already know the answer. And he hasn't succeeded in making Jesus look stupid, and he, he wasn't used to losing debates. So in verse 29, he, he tries again. He asks a different question. But Jesus, who is my neighbor? So he starts out trying to test Jesus and try to trip him up. The tables are turned on him, and he tries an age-old debating trick. He gets into semantics. Define exactly what you mean by neighbor. Is it somebody who lives next door? Is it the person at work or in my classroom? Um, you know, is it um, people in my city or state? Is it uh, my countrymen, um, part of the same religion, people across the world? What exactly do you mean by, by neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't get caught up into the lawyer's attempt to, to, to cloud the issue. And, and to, to prove a point, make a point, Jesus tells this story. And, and, and what Jesus is telling us is, it's not only who is my neighbor, but how do I be a good neighbor? And so he tells this story. And in the story, we see different attitudes that pop up in response to Jesus' question, who is my neighbor? First, there's the lawyer. And his, as we've seen, his, his response, his attitude, is this, this is a matter for discussion and debate. It's more of a, an intellectual conversation. But, but, but they're not my responsibility. You know, I heard a, a while back on, on, national, on a public radio, they were having a discussion about the overpopulation crisis. And uh, speaker after speaker spoke eloquently and passionately about some of the issues we'd be facing and, and uh, just the needs that were popping up and that we're going to have more and more of these needs in the future. And the statistics were overwhelming. And, and you began to get the sense that the problem was much too big and it was just inevitable. There was nothing we could do about it. But towards the end of the program, the mediator closed by saying this. We must remember to not let the sheer vastness of the situation justify leaving it at the discussion level. We must deal with specifics. We must put human faces at the fore. 
And, and our lawyer here in Luke, he, he's, he's dealing with the generalities. He, he's trying to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? He's trying to shield himself and, and limit his obligations to the people around him. Because if the discussion doesn't become personal and specific, he doesn't have to deal with it. He wouldn't have to deal with the homeless or the widowed or the orphaned or the immigrant or the drunk or the jerk or the person who has a totally different worldview than us. His attitude was, I'm not responsible. He wants things vague. He doesn't want to know names, doesn't want to get to know real needs, see real hurts. Doesn't have to do anything, but Jesus doesn't allow him that luxury. And he tells him a story that makes it all too clear that he does have responsibilities and he does have to be a good neighbor. The second attitude we see is is the attitude of the the robbers. In in verse 30, we read, They stripped the traveler of his clothes, beat him, take his money, and leave him half dead on the side of the road. The attitude here is this traveler, this man, is somebody to be used and exploited. You know, when we were living in Chicago years ago, when we were in uh, grad school, uh, you go downtown and you you see a lot of homeless. And you almost become um, part of the scenery after a while, if you're if you're not careful, desensitized to it. But then if you look specifically at them, you, you look in the eye, you see young people, people who were teenagers or, or in their early 20s who uh, were being used and exploited for drug trafficking or or, or prostitution. And they were viewed as objects to be used and not individuals to be loved or, or, or cared for. And before we jump to any you know, generalities about the, the big city, we might want to take a look around our community and see the needs and the tragedies and the things that, that ought to break our hearts. The, the third attitude in our passage is taken by the religious men, the Levite and the, and the priest. Now, to Jesus' hearers, these two would have been most likely... To be the heroes. I mean, they would know the law well, and they would act justly. They would know Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you? To walk humbly. To do justice. To love mercy. They would know that. Surely they would be the heroes of the story. But they take an attitude that many of us, and I must confess to my shame, sometimes I have taken, they just couldn't be bothered. They're, 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 they're too busy. They're very busy guys. They're probably on their way to synagogue or maybe to life group or to meeting at the church to talk about outreach. They're respected. They're well thought of. The problem is that they are selective in, in who they help and when they help them. And so when they come across this poor guy in Jesus' story, they simply can't be bothered. It's tragic to see this poor guy. Somebody ought to do something about this. There's so many of them, and, you know, I can't, I can't, I'm not the Savior. I can't do it all. You know, you can't help everybody. And they had some nice sounding excuses. The road was dangerous. Crime was frequent. The man lying there, it could have been a trap. Have you ever thought that when you drive by in somebody's side of the road? they broken down. They don't know him. Maybe he deserved it. Maybe he was a criminal himself. And so they decide he's not worth their help, not worth the risk. And they just move on by. The fourth attitude taken in Jesus' story is that the innkeeper. The innkeeper sees the wounded man as a, as a customer. 
someone who you can take care of for a fee. The bottom line is that that relationship is transactional. He's all for doing good, so long as doing good was good for business. The fifth attitude is that of the Samaritan. And the Samaritan is the hero, the unlikely hero. This is the twist in the story. You, you, if we would have been there, you might have seen eyebrows go up or people gasped or looked shocked because they would not have expected this. Because Samaritans, as we know, were, they were outcasts in Jewish society. There was hatred between Jews and Samaritans. They saw themselves, the Jews, as the true descendants of Abraham. Samaritans were sellouts and compromisers who, who had intermarried with the Canaanites and other races and peoples over the years. And so for this lawyer who asked the question, Samaritan, the Samaritan was an inferior person. And after the story is finished and Jesus springs the surprise and the tables turn, and Jesus asks him who was the true neighbor, he can't even say the word Samaritan. He says the one who showed mercy. He can't bring himself to, to say it. Mercy. The Samaritan sees the wounded man as a human being worth loving and caring for, worth taking a risk. And he showed love to this man, somebody who would have avoided him if they'd met on the road. And he's not honored, he's not publicly recognized, doesn't get a plaque, an article in the paper. He spends his own money, worth two or three days' wages at least. He takes a risk, could have been a trap, could have been beaten, robbed or killed. But he sees the needs. A stranger, an ethnic enemy. And he acts with compassion and with mercy. It would have been so easy just to keep moving, to turn away. He could have justified that. You know, all around us every day there are people with needs that we can address. Things we can do for them. Marriage is falling apart. Kids who are lonely. People who have lost someone, they're grieving. Somebody struggling with substance abuse, depression, mental health issues, physical issues, disease, terminal illness, anger issues, estranged relationships. There are things we can do. We can lift up people who are hurting. We can, we can pray for them. We can go the extra mile for them, deliver a meal, make a phone call, hang in there with a conversation with somebody that just keeps talking and talking and talking because they have no one else to talk to. Serve the peace person who, who irritates you. The person you don't click with. The person who maybe doesn't deserve it. Because that's the attitude that Jesus has. Because of everybody who's ever lived, no one has ever loved more completely and totally than, than Jesus. No one has ever served more selflessly, more indiscriminately than, than Jesus. And through his life and his actions and through the cross, he showed that his attitude was that all people are individuals worth loving, worth caring for, and worth taking a risk for, worth giving his life for. And that all are created in his Father's image. And we are to use our time, our resources, our treasure, our talents to serve others and to love others. But that's not going to happen unless we see others as Jesus sees them. Not as inconveniences, not as avenues to get what we want, not as a risk, but people 
Christ, people who are priceless creations of God, worthy of our love. Who was our neighbor, the lawyer asked. Jesus' answer was, it's everybody. There are no limits to love. Your obligations extend to all, at all times. And by showing mercy and compassion and love, Jesus, then at the end of the story, gives us our, our sermon application. It's a simple truth, but maybe difficult to do. He says, go, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We're grateful for this familiar story. Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to follow the example of this man who took a risk, who didn't consider differences, who didn't consider how he would be treated by the one he was helping him, but who showed mercy and compassion. So, Father, we pray that you give us eyes to see the people around us and see their needs um, and to love and to sacrifice and to serve as you have done for us. We ask this in your name. Amen. What we do today and what we remember and celebrate uh, is, is the supreme example of what Jesus has done for us. He, he considers us worth the risk. Uh, he considers us worth giving his life for. And so as we come to the table, as we take of the bread, we're reminded that through his broken body we are made whole. And he's made the sacrifice for us, for our sins. As we drink from the cup, we're reminded that through his blood we are cleansed of unrighteousness and made right with God the Father through faith in Jesus. So come now to this table, not because you must, because you may. Come to testify not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin you stand in constant need of his mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek his presence and pray for his spirit. Hear now the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this and eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this and drink this in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul then concludes by saying, For as often as you eat the bread and drink from the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for these gifts, physical gifts, that remind us, God, of your gift, the gift of your Son, Jesus, the one who was willing to come as all of us, God, we're on the side of the road in need. None of us, God, are worthy. But Jesus, because of your love, because of your compassion, you came and you offered and you gave your own life for our lives. 
And so, God, we offer ourselves humbly back to you, and we ask that you take these gifts, these lives, as a gift of worship. God, help make our lives holy and pleasing to you as we are in you. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.